This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, God's Blessing, and it comes from 2 Samuel 8, 1-18. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi. 39304. Now your gift to Word Talking is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. As we pick up in 2 Samuel in the 8th chapter, I want to do a quick review. If you remember, we've been studying over the last several weeks after David has been anointed the king of Israel. While we've been studying these chapters in chapter 5, I told you one of the great things that David did as a king is that he took Jerusalem he took it from the Jebusites. It was the center of the promised land that God had given the nation of Israel. But David goes into this fortified city and they tell him even the deaf and blind could keep you out. That's because no one had been able to come in. But there was a weakness. There was a water shaft because there was no water inside this surrounding. So they had to get water in. So they had a river that they cut into it and a water shaft to bring the water up for the city. And David's men went in, up through the water shaft, opened the gates, and they came in and took the city. That was the first thing. And that was crucial because it gave the promised land back to the nation of Israel. And it made the capital city now the, right in the center of the promised land. And then the second thing that he did that was really crucial to, I think, him being a great king was he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And so as he was bringing it, he didn't do and handle it the way it was supposed to be handled. We studied that. We saw that there was a stumble. When they reached out to catch it, immediately they died. This scared David. Matter of fact, he put the ark down and for three months he said, how can I bring this ark back? But David studied and he had priests come talk to him. And that's where he found out and he said, hey, we've got to carry it by the way that Moses told us to carry it. Again, we talked about him celebrating and dancing and saying that he was even going to be more undignified when his wife, Michal, told him, I can't believe that you are half naked because he didn't have on his royal robes, that he had on an ephob and he just had on his regular undergarments. And he was dancing in front of it as they brought it into the city because of the joy that he had before the Lord. He danced before the Lord. And then last week, we studied about how he wanted to build a temple to put the ark in. He's like, I live in this huge mansion. I have all this around me, and the ark of the Lord is in a tent. The prophet Nathan came back to him after he told him he could do it, said the Lord came to me in the middle of the night and told me, no, you're not to do it. You're to take care of the people. There's going to 
build a house upon your name and the lineage of yours will be a house that will reign forever. And in that promise, he said that this person will reign forever. And that's what Jesus does today. Jesus reigns triumphant over everything. But if you remember, I told you about yes, no, and wait. And really, I told you that's the three answers that God gives us. And we should go to him in prayer about everything, just like David did. But God will give us one of those three answers. He'll say, yes, go ahead. Or no, I've got something better for you. Or not right now. And so that takes us right up to chapter 8, where we are today. And from a timeline perspective, David has now been king for over 30 years. And then this chapter is almost a summary chapter before we start seeing some details again about David's life. But in this chapter, we see God's blessing on David and, and how he honors what he told David through the prophet Nathan. In that statement, he told him to secure his people, that they should not have to worry. And so we see in this chapter that David was able to do that by God's blessing. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1. I'll be reading out the ESV. And after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Metheg Ammah out of the hands of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab. And he measured them all with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became the servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadazar and the son of Rohab, king of Zoab, and went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 17 horsemen and 2,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadazar, king of Zoab, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. I want to read that again. That's a great second half of verse 6. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. We see who was giving him these victories. And David took the shield of the gold that were carried by the servants of Hadazar and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Bethel and Bethral, cities of Hadazar, King David took very much bronze. And we're going to stop right there for now. So if you don't take anything else away from this lesson, I want you to see that chapter 8 follows up from chapter 7. And this chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter. It describes God's amazing promise to David. And we see the blessings that he gives. How he's going to build an eternal kingdom for David. And then we read David's marvelous prayer at the end of chapter 7. In a response to God's promises to him. But chapter 8 shows us how God's kingdom was established through God by using David as king. This kingdom being established reminds me of Jesus, the prayer that he taught the disciples called the Lord's Prayer. Anyhow, part of that is it says, your kingdom come. When we think about that statement, your kingdom come, that Jesus is teaching his disciples, we think that Jesus is talking about his kingdom, and he is, but it really goes all the way back with King David. The promise that God made with David that he would have a covenant there. If you flip back to chapter 7, verse 16, you see, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And chapter 8 is all about God establishing his kingdom. The kingdom, though, didn't stop with David. Obviously, we know that the kingdom is God's kingdom, 
He set up the nation of Israel right there in the promised land. And out of that came Jesus and through the lineage that was spoken by the prophets. But God's kingdom was established first through David right here. And that should excite you. That should give you hope that the promises of God are always true. The other thing I want you to understand is that 2 Samuel chapter 8 summarizes the conquests that David had during his reign. Now, these victories that it talks about here that we read about aren't necessarily in chronological order. Like I told you at the very beginning, this is kind of a summary chapter before it gets back into the specifics of David's life. But these victories are all about taking victory from the north taking victory from the south, taking victory from the east and the west, and growing the territory and the nation of Israel. As we read, David's victories expanded the kingdom. It expanded it west where the Philistines lived. It expanded it east where the Moabites lived. It expanded it north where Aram was. And it expanded it south where Edom was. And we're going to see about the Edomites in a minute. We didn't get that far before I stopped. And because this is a summary chapter, sometimes we think this all happened in a week or two weeks or three weeks, but this happened over years. As a matter of fact, most commentators feel like this is almost a 20 to 30 year period of time that these victories took place. But we see in verse one that the first kingdom conquest was westward against the Philistines and that the Philistines lived on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The Philistines also were a perennial problem with the nation of Israel. And we've seen as we studied 1 Samuel and now 2 Samuel 1 that they would come up when King Saul was there. The Philistines were the ones that were standing across the big divide where David goes and kills Goliath. We see that the Philistines are the one that killed King Saul at Mount Gilbo. And the Bible tells us that David took victory with them and that he subdued them. His victory was so powerful through the Lord that the Philistines never again possessed a serious threat against David's kingdom. Then the Bible tells us about the second victory, and that was the Moabites, Moab. It tells us that he created two lines. He had one line where he killed two-thirds of the people. He had another line that became servants. You might ask, why did he kill some and not kill them all? common practice back then was you killed most of the people so the ones that you kept as service would be fearful and they wouldn't be able to overtake you. If you remember about your Old Testament history, you know this is an important victory because the Moabites were a threat to the nation of Israel, especially through the temptation of intermarriage. But because of this victory, just like the Philistines, the Moabites were no longer a threat to Israel. And then we see the third victory in verses 3 and 4. We see that he defeated Aram, and that was to his north. And in these two verses, we see that it restored his power all the way to the river Euphrates. And also, he was able to take horsemen and foot soldiers. And it even says that when the Syrians came to help out out of Damascus, that David struck down 22,000 of the Syrian men. As you read about all these victories and how many men that he overcame, you see the power of David's capable army and his ability to lead such an army and how he conquered all the surrounding territories. But the one thing that was amazing to me as I study this chapter is that David doesn't get cocky about this. David remains submissive and he understands who gave him those victories. But I want you to understand that the verse 6 really tells us about this, and I pointed out I was reading to you, that the Lord preserved David wherever he went. The Lord took care of David. The Lord protected him. 
That word preserved that you see in the Bible is more than protection. It was protection and victory. With God protecting him and preserving him, David was taking out the enemies and he was subduing them. Through the prophet of Nathan, God had promised David and now God delivers. Like I said, hopefully this excites you. Yeah, we don't go out and kill and fight armies like David did right here, but we do fight battles. We do fight a spiritual battle. And through the blessings of God, we get our blessings when we are submissive and we follow after him. When we become more like him every single day, when we submit ourselves to his lordship, we will experience victory and we will see the victories and that will bring the blessings that we would love to have. Now, I'm not going to do a name it and claim it kind of thing, but what I can tell you is when you chase after the Lord, those victories follow you. One part of that you need to pick up. You can't have a victory without a battle. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but to have a victory, that means you have to face trouble. That means you have to face a trial. And we don't like that. We just want the victory part. We want the blessing part. But I want you to see that David battled for 20 to 30 years, and he has subdued the people that he had to through God Almighty. If you want the victory, unfortunately, a lot of times you have to take the calamity that comes with it. Psalms 34, 19, listen to what was written there. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What I want you to hear me say today is that, yes, when you fight that battle, if you are righteous, that's what this promise is. When you face affliction, when the righteous face affliction, the Lord will deliver you out of them. He will give you the victory. God wants us to be victorious. We got to quit walking around with the wrong mindset. We need to be claiming the victory even when we're going through the battle. The Bible tells us the same thing in the New Testament. If you look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. The question for you today, are you in the righteous category that that promise we have from Psalms? So my first point was God keeps his promises. Now, the second thing is our response. I want you to see the two responses. First, it's all God, not us. And second, we have to give back to the Lord just like David did. Look back at verse 9 with me. When Toa king of Hamath heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadazir, Toa sent his son Joram the, to the king of David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadazar and defeated him. For Hadazar had often been at war with him, with Toa. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations that he subdued, from Edom, from Moab, from the Ammonites, and the Philistines, and the Amalekites, and from the spoils of Hadazir, the son of Roab, king of Zohab. In verse 7, we see that he brought all that back, the spoils, to Jerusalem. And then in verse 11, we see that everything was dedicated to the Lord. David knew it was the Lord who had done it. David knew it was the Lord who gave him the victory. It wasn't him. Listen to what the Bible tells us about this in Psalms 20. This is David writing. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. David experienced victory. We read all about that. But he never forgot who gave him that victory. He never forgot who was giving him the victory because of the promise that was spoken to him. Once you look at another psalm that David wrote while he was dealing with Abimelech, 
Look at Psalms 34, verse 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. As you read through the Psalms, you see that David understood who his blessings came from. David knew it was God. He knew God did it. And his natural response was to praise him and to thank him for the provisions that he gave him. He wrote a ton of Psalms. And just like the ones I've read, throughout the Psalms, you see him give praise and thanks for the blessings. Even when he's depressed and he says, Oh Lord, help me now before my people take me. Oh Lord, strike down my enemy. But at the very end, he always gives him credit and praise for what he's going to do. He claimed it before it ever happened sometimes. If you go back in the Old Testament and you study about the nation of Israel, you see in Deuteronomy 20, listen to it about concerning warfare. It says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots of any army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near battle against your enemy. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. It is God that goes before us. And that we need to apply this to our life. We need to understand that we can experience victory in our life. But who gets the glory? Who do we give the glory to? We lived in a very blessed nation. When you look across the world, as I've traveled, went on mission trips, we are very blessed in the United States. We should be grateful and be thankful for what we have, even though it may be a trying times. But if you have a skill and you know how to do something and have a job, you should be thankful. If you have a spouse, if you have a house, if whatever you have, if you have food on your table, you should be thankful. The problem is we look to the left, we look to the right, we try to keep up with the Joneses, and we quit thinking about the blessings that God has given us. I think about a song as I was growing up. There was a song that used to say, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and soon you'll realize what God has done. What that song was about is when you're going through the trial, count your blessings. Count them over and over and over. Look at the victories that God has given you. Quit looking at the battle and look at the victories and claim the victory that God says he will give you. Some of you look at your battle and all of a sudden you feel defeated. You're not like the nation of Israel that was told right here in Deuteronomy. No, you look at it and your God is too small. But you need to remember what Ephesians 1.19 says. This is Paul giving thanksgiving and prayer. And in verse 19, through this one little chapter, this long sentence, he says, What is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Paul is reminding us how big God is. When we face that, that battle, remember the victory. David knew who was providing that victory to him. David remembered the greatness of God. And he went out there and he battled in the name of the Lord and gave him the praise and the credit for it. But not only did he know who gave him the victory, but he also dedicated everything that he got to the Lord. You know, sometimes we say, I can't afford to pay a tithe. And I don't, I'm not going to go into this very long, but we can't afford not to pay the tithe. We see right here that David took all the spoils and he dedicated it to the Lord. He gave it back to him, the silver, the gold. He dedicated it all from the nations that he subdued. There's a promise in this as well. If you go to Luke 16, 10, it says, One who is faithful in the very little is also faithful in the much. And the one who is dishonest in the very little is dishonest in the much. 
Jesus is teaching that we have to be faithful with whatever we have. Some of you say, well, if I had more, I could be more faithful. You need to be faithful with the little things so that you can be given more, that God will give you more, that you can be faithful with that as well. When Jesus was teaching in the parable of, of being faithful again in Matthew 25, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter to the joy of your master. You want to know how I know David gave the right credit is because he gave all that he had back to the Lord. And are you doing that? Are you giving your part back to the Lord? It's all his anyhow. Don't fool yourself. The Bible teaches us that the very breath you breathe, God gave you that. Every nickel and dime that you've got, you go, well, Tim, I work hard for my money. I know you do. Who do you think lined up you getting that job? Who do you think lined up that promotion? I, what I'm telling you is you need to be like David and you need to give back faithfully to the Lord. So we've seen how God kept his promises. We see how David gave it back to the Lord and he understood who his blessings came from. But we also see that he didn't retire. He didn't sit back and go, well, I made it. Look at verse 13 through 18 with me real quick. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites. That's the folks in the south, the Valley of the Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equality to all people. Joab, the son of Zerum, was over his army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Abdul, was recorded, and Zodok, the son of Abitud, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, was priest, and Sarael was secretary, and Benani, the son of Jodeah, was over the, the Sheratites and the Pelatites, and David's sons were priests. What we see right here, as I'm running out of time quickly, is that David was made a name for himself, but he didn't do it himself. David gave the victory to the Lord, and the Lord gave him victory wherever he went. That's what verse 14 says right at the end. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. God kept his promise to David. David gave back to the Lord, and he gave all the praise and glory to the Lord. And he didn't retire even when his name was made. See, some of us think that if the Lord will just bless us, then our life will become easier. I'd love to have a boring, mundane life that wasn't overwhelming with all the bad times and the ups and downs. I want the victory and I want to be to the point where I don't have to worry anymore. We want to be like David that's coming off a string of victories, but I think it's interesting to see how he lives. He had made a name for himself because of the Lord. People were noticing the victory, the byproduct of his victories. But if you look at verse 14, David does some wise things there. He puts garrisons. Those are protection around. Once David had experienced a victory, what did he do? He did the wise thing. He set up controls in his kingdom to ensure his long-term status. He had armies, a standing army around the areas that needed to be protected. He protected his interest as king. I want you to notice after he made it, after God had delivered him, he didn't sit back and retire. That's not what he did. He didn't sit back and enjoy the spoils. He made strategic decisions to set up protection to ensure the long-term success of what God had done and what God enthroned him to do. In verse 15, we see how he reigned over all of Israel, how he administered judgment and justice. And I also want you to see that he took the role of king very serious. He did the work that the king should be doing. He wasn't just sitting around now that he made a name for himself. 
And then he goes and enlists even his sons into the ministry. That's what it says in verse 18. Listen to Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuit lacks sense. You have to work if you want to eat. You have to work if you want to be blessed. If you want things to come your way, you can't sit back and expect God just to give them to you. You got to get out there and make it happen under his direction, walking in the spirit. His son, Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, also wrote in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. What he's saying is whatever you do, do it well. For when you go to the grave, there'll be no work, there'll be no planning, there'll be no knowledge, there'll be no wisdom. It's all done. So if you're going to do it, you need to do it while you're here. It's not just going to happen to you. Both of these verses talk to the people that want God to bless them so they have to do less. So that they can be free of doing the strifeful stuff and do less. But God wants you to do more. Friday, I was having lunch with a pastor. And we talked about there is no retirement from serving the Lord. There's never a time when you've done enough for the Lord. Yeah, you may retire from your job when you hit 65. But the Lord wants you to keep working until you go to see him, to be with him. There's, your job is never finished until you're there. Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 9 tells those that put their hand to the plow and look back aren't fit for the kingdom of God. See, we're called to be workers for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to retire from it. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he has a job for you, and it's not finished. I don't care how old you are. You may go, Tim, I don't know what my calling is. I can tell you one of your callings, Matthew 28 says, Therefore go, make disciples, teaching them to obey to obey my commands. We're to go make disciples. We can do that until we go to be with the Lord. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. David understood the promises that God had given him. David understood work. And David's response was to do unto the Lord. He understood Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men. If you want victory like David, like we're studying about, if you want to be a person after God's own heart, if you want to be that, then you have to understand that God will keep his promises, the promises that he has in the Bible, and he will fulfill them. But we also have to be faithful. We have to be righteous. We read about that. We have to chase after him. We can't walk in our own ways. We can't decide what we want to do. We have to be submissive like David was, and we have to do everything we do under him. And then when we do reap the blessings, we need to give back to the Lord. And then we also need to make sure we're giving praises back to the Lord, just like David did. I would imagine some of you would tell me that there are things like blessings that you want so badly that you would do almost anything to make it happen. I think about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She was barren. She was getting older. And every year she would go to the temple and she would pray about God giving her a child. And she had a, another wife that would rub her face in it. But God heard her prayer. And he gracefully gave her that son. And what did she do? She gave the greatest treasure she ever had back to the Lord. Some of you need to understand that's what David did. He gave back to the Lord. And the Lord is knocking on someone's heart today and saying, some of your blessing hadn't come because you haven't given back to me. You have a selfish part of your heart. When you become submissive, there is no selfish part. You give it back to the Lord. Today is the Lord knocking on your heart saying, turn all of your heart over to me. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this lesson. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you about your promises that you give us in your word. 
Lord, how when we chase after you, when we follow after you, we're human, we're going to fail, we're going to mess up, but Lord, that you are, you give us grace. Your new mercies start afresh every day is what the Bible tells us. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough that you made a way that we could come back to you, that you're in love with us, that you're a friend that loves us more than we could ever understand. Lord, let us capture that moment and understand that so that we would chase after you. We would do everything we can to be more like you and to make disciples and bring them to the knowledge of you. We would be like David, that we would be a blessing, a man after your own heart. Lord, I pray for the one today that has shown up and they're facing a battle, but they can have victory just like David did. But to have a victory, you have to face a battle. But we understand who gives us that victory. And sometimes we try to do it in our own strength. Lord, I pray today that they would turn the battles over to you. Lord, there's some that want blessings that they hadn't got. Lord, I pray today that they would check themselves. Lord, they would check for the motives of why they want those blessings. Do they want to make their life easier? Or are they willing to take the blessings and give it back towards you? Lord, you give us everything we have. There's nothing that we have that you haven't given us. Lord, maybe there's one today that's listening that's never given their life to you. They've never understood that. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would understand that you came and you made a way for a sinful people, a broken people. The Bible tells us everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but you made a way that we can come stand before you, a holy and righteous God. One day when we stand there, that you won't see that sin. You'll just see the blood of Jesus Christ over us that was shed on a cross to cover our sins. But not only that, that overcame death so that we can live victorious over death with you. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would believe in their heart and they would confess with their mouth. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.